I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Quinn. And this is We Had No Idea. Episode 41. Wow, wow. Yeah. Celebrate <laughs> the holiday. It's not. It's the middle of the week. We come to you from Okinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsina Nations, the Iyahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you are on by looking at native-land.ca. The sources for the show today, uh, for my portion, the Canadian Encyclopedia.ca, Human Rights.ca, CBC.ca, Macmillan.ca, and LaheedHouse.ca. I'm Go glad you Canada. said something, because I was going to be like, you don't speak for me today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my sources for the program today... Uh, origins.osu.edu, humanrights.ca, the Canadian Encyclopedia.ca, bcblackhistory.ca, ucalgary.ca, heritagecalgary.ca, the andersons.ca. The andersons.ca. Yeah, it'll all make sense in time. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, um, as always, the title, the image, uh, the little blurb about this episode has already told you what we're talking about today. Black Canadians. Yeah. As we continue in uh, Black History Month. Yeah, I'm glad you suggested this one because we know a lot of the about the, the civil rights leaders in the States, but mm-hmm. don't know a whole lot about those here north of the border. So happy we were able to, to dive into a few today. Totally. So thank you all for uh, listening. I mean, yeah. this far anyway. Um, and for downloading. At this point, you're hooped with that one. Uh, we really appreciate it. <laughs> the downloads help out very, very much. Uh, ratings, reviews, all of those things we greatly appreciate yeah. as well. So yeah. thank you. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. <laughs> Tell your dad. Don't leave him out. No. No. This is for everyone. Tell your mom, uh. Yeah. How about that one? Huh? <laughs> Maybe you can leave a dad out depending on the situation. <laughs> yeah. Or tell your dads. Or tell your dads. Yeah. Plural. Right. Tell your non-binary friends too. Fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> tell everybody. I like to think that someone wasn't going to tell their non-binary friends until you brought it up. And then They're I was like, like oh, shit. Forgot this, about them. This certainly isn't for they, them. Mm. Do you think that that's what they said in their heads? <laughs> Uh, that so was this a pronoun is pronoun joke. Yeah, th- this is <laughs> one of those back and forth episodes. So yeah. we kind of went over last night who uh, we were going to talk about or mm-hmm. what we were going to talk about, but mm-hmm. not in in great detail. So I'm uh, I'm excited to learn about yours. I'm excited to learn about yours. Well then, should we start? Please take it away, Peter. God, this sounded like a kid show. It did. <laughs> should we go that way? Uh, all right, I'm. F- <laughs> no one knows or needs to know in this f- information, but I feel like telling you. I'm going to start from the bottom of my list and work my way up. Ooh, trickery! And I am starting with Dudley Laws. Okay. Dudley Laws immigrated to Canada from England in 1965. Mm-hmm. After settling in Toronto, he joined the Jamaican Canadian Association and the Universal Negro Improvement Association, mm-hmm. the Garvey Movement, uh, which was later renamed the Universal African Improvement Association. It's a lot of vowels in a abbreviation. Or, totally. Yeah. Acronym? 
Acronym. Acronym. In the 1970s and 80s, Laws was heavily featured in the news as a critic of the then Metropolitan Toronto Police Force. He spoke out against the targeting of black youth and the shootings of Buddy Evans, Albert Johnson, and Michael Wade Lawson by members of the force. After the police shooting death of yet another young black man, Lester Donaldson, Laws co-founded the Black Action Defense Committee, or BADC, or BADCA with Charles Roach, Sharona Hall, and Lennox Farrell. The BADC organized demonstrations calling for an end to, quote, police investigating police in suspected cases of police wrongdoing. Mm. In response, the province established the country's first special investigations unit Mm. as an autonomous body to examine police misconduct. Not the way I thought that was going to go. In 1990. Oh. That seems... Late. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely one of those things like the, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. Yeah. But still, seemed late. But still, good for him. Getting shit done. Yeah, totally. Two years later, the Commission of Systemic Racism in the Ontario Criminal Justice System was created to assess systemic racism in policing. The, <laughs> you don't um, say. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in policing the courts and correctional institutions and to provide recommendations to address the issues. Hmm. Laws also helped establish the Black Youth Community Action Project and supported changes to benefit black inmates in the prison system. As an immigration consultant in the 80s and 90s, Laws advocated for immigrants from the Caribbean and refugees. Or Caribbean. I don't the know what Pirates of... Yes. Yeah, uh, I don't think he advocated for pirates. Uh, In 2011, Laws was admitted to Humber uh, River Regional Hospital to be treated for cancer and kidney disease. Just days before, he had counseled inmates at Joyceville Penitentiary in Kingston, Ontario. Laws took a meeting with the Black Action Defense Committee in his hospital hours before passing away. Mm. So someone who... Um, definitely had a, a a big impact on things in the the eastern portion of this country for about forty years. Um, mm-hmm. He was like addressed by name by the mayor at um, one of the, the speeches that he gave about improving things in Toronto. So someone who who made an impact in um, our our country's biggest province. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. In our biggest city. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And surroundings. Right. Yeah. Wow. And, and the greater area of which it resides. And the greater area of which is around it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, I thought that this was a good one to highlight to show, A, how long some of this stuff has been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but B, also someone who went in there and like got shit done. You know, like he, he started a bunch of, of associations and councils and things like that. And a lot, like, it, it seems like a lot happened because of this man. So I I thought he was someone who was deserving of the spotlight on our little podcast. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, Something that I want to just say, because it's kind of occurring to me. Okay. Um, uh, So, yes, Dudley Laws, you just went over. He did a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I think arguably all of the people that we talk about in this episode will have done a lot. Yeah. It feels so... uh, like, I feel like there's still such disparity mm-hmm. that it is crushing. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, you don't want... It's like, all these people have worked for all these years and all this great stuff has happened and we've, you know, we've come a long way, but it's like, 
fuck, this road is long, bro. Yeah, yeah like on the one hand, you want to celebrate the yeah. people who have paved that road. And you to, should. Yes, to, to like for the, this long way that we have come. Mm-hmm. A, it's depressing that it started from such a deep hole to begin with mm-hmm. that we are at the point now where, where we're at is progress. Mm-hmm. But you also don't just want to go, okay, well, a lot's been done, so let's move along. Like yeah. it's... But it, but again, you don't want to forget the contributions of people like Dudley Laws, who implemented a lot of things yeah. and and helped out a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for telling me about him. You're welcome. Uh, I'm gonna start from the top of my list. <laughs> Not gonna Boring. go reckless. Uh, I'm gonna tell you about Rosemary Brown. All right. Uh, she was born in Jamaica in 1930, and then she immigrated to Canada in 1951. Uh, which is where we kind of all pick up this story just because a lot of sites say exactly that. (laughs) They're like, she came here in 1951 and now let's get started. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So in 1956, uh, Brown helped in founding the British Columbia Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the BCAACP. Mm, Nice. Yeah. Uh, They worked to open up housing and employment to black people in British Columbia and for the introduction of human rights legislation in the provincial parliament. And just to piggyback off of what we were just talking about, I know that human rights had to start somewhere, but the sentence introduction of human rights into legislation in the provincial parliament is very cringy. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, During the 1960s, Rosemary used her role as a political advocate against both racism and sexism. At the time, traditional roles of race and gender were being challenged in Canadian politics. And as a black woman, Brown was qualified to speak for both groups. Uh, There's a Canadian heritage moment. You know, Canadian heritage moments. Mm -hmm. A part of our history. Yes. A type of thing that was about her. And the idea of intersectionality is uh, very prominent in Rosemary's uh, speakings. Um, she wasn't just affected by black oppression. Like it wasn't, that wasn't the only thing she could focus on because she also was affected by women's, women's oppression. Um, so she needed to fight for both causes because both affected her. And she felt like, you know, older women needed someone to fight for them and they needed to fight too. Mm. It wasn't just her fighting for her. It was her fighting for womanhood yeah. and black people. Um, so yeah, the, the idea of intersectionality, I think really came up, uh, for her. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to hear the list of awards that she received for some of the work she did? Am I? Uh, so she received the woman of distinction award from the YWCA in Vancouver in 1989 an honorary doctorates of law from several Canadian universities, including Queens, McGill, Dalhousie, Toronto, Victoria, and the university of British Columbia. And in 1995, she was given the Order of British Columbia and the Ontario Black Achievement Award. She sat on the board for the Canadian Women's Association, uh, the Canadian Women's Foundation, the Advisory Council of the Global Fund for Women, the North South Institute, and Queen's University. She was a patron of the National Council of Black Education Trust Fund. And in 1996, Rosemary Brown received the Order of Canada. Rosemary put in work. She put in work. So she got all these awards. Um for a lot of the political career that she had. So in 1972, Brown entered provincial politics as a new Democratic Party candidate. She was a candidate for the NDP. Uh, She won the riding of Vancouver Burrard, becoming the first black woman to sit in the Legislative Assembly of British Columbia. She served as an MLA for 14 years, and she also ran for the leadership of the federal NDP party in 1975 with the slogan, Brown is beautiful. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, she did end up coming in second to a man named Ed. 
Uh, but she was ahead of three other candidates. So nice. I think that that is something to applaud. Yeah. Uh, she retired from politics in 1988 to take a professorship in women's studies at Simon Fraser University. She also at that same time, because she couldn't just do one thing, <laughs> turned her attention to the international or turned her attention to international advocacy. Uh, she served three years as CEO of the Adv- advocacy group Match international women's fund and held additional positions thereafter brown was passionate about the role and the organization she traveled and gave many speeches she gained support uh, for overseas projects uh, that promoted political economic and social advancement of women in developing countries she did pass away in 2003 in vancouver but since then the rosemary brown award for women was established uh, in 2004 and is awarded annually uh, to BC-based women or organizations that promote the values and ideals which Rosemary Brown championed. And in 2009, a commemorative stamp with her on it was revealed. Mm. It's like a little caricature kind of drawing. Nice. And in 2017, as part of Canada's 150, Rosemary Brown was named one of Canada's top 150. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Women in politics, getting shit done. <laughs> One of the things I hope, like just off of the, the last conversation we had, yeah. is that people like Rosemary Brown can like appreciate what they accomplished. Yeah. You know, because like we just talked about how there there is still so far to go on this road. You hope that like when that time comes... That, that she's able to recognize, like, I didn't get us to the finish line, mm-hmm. but I got us a hell of a lot closer than we would have been if I wasn't here. Yeah. Um, and so you just, you hope that, like, when, when the time comes to, to either step down or, like, I can't do this anymore or y- your body just fails you, mm-hmm. um, you hope that they are able to, to recognize the, the good that they have accomplished. For sure. Yeah. I hope that too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this again, another person who seemed like she got a lot done uh-huh. in her life. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you for sharing. No problem. Um, all right. My next one. Okay. We're going to go local here with a Calgary story. Ooh, my second one's Calgary too. Oh, hey, look at that. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the uh, story of Charles Daniels. Mm. Daniels worked for the Canadian Pacific Railroad, assisting passengers as a train porter in the early 1910s when this story took place. That was one of the few... The Ottoman Empire was around then. That's true, yes. (laughs) Um, And so were jobs as uh, assisting passengers as a train porter, which was one of the few jobs for black men, um, was as sleeping car porters, where they attended to travelers' needs aboard sleeping cars. Many of these men experienced racial discrimination on the job, including being excluded from unions based on race and being referred to by passengers by demeaning names. Mm. Daniels enjoyed the theater. And on February 3rd, 1914, he made plans to buy two main floor tickets to see Shakespeare's King Lear with a friend at the Sherman Grand Theater in Calgary that evening. That night, Daniels was denied entry onto the main floor and was told he could exchange his ticket for one in the, quote, colored section in the balcony. I see you're highlighting something. Do you want to discuss something? No. Oh, okay. 
Daniels refused to sit in the balcony and soon after launched a court case against the theater, arguing that since he was sober and well-behaved, he was entitled to sit anywhere in the theater, regardless of creed or color. He requested $1,000 in damages, which is the equivalent of $20,000 today, mm. and highlighted the embarrassment he suffered that evening, quote, because there were a number of men in the department of the Canadian Pacific Railway that saw me in the lobby at the time, conductors and their crew. Mm. What Daniels did was risky for the time. It was decades before the peak of the civil rights movement, and it generated headlines across Alberta. The, um, I never know how to pronounce this. Bassano? Bassano. The Bassano News ran the headline, quote, I'm not going to quote all of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's some star, there's some asterisks in yeah. here. Quote, Calgary blank. It starts with an N. Kicks up fuss, wants to attend theater with white folks, but management says no. An actual headline in an actual newspaper mm -hmm. in this country in 1914. In this city. Yes. Well, this was in Bassano, so. Oh, it's in Bassano. I yeah. see, I see. And you are right, it is Bassano. Thank you. Yeah. When Daniel's lawyer asked why a black person might be denied entry into the theater, William Sherman, the proprietor of the theater, said, I might as well tell it. This is a quote, again. I might as well tell it. Regarding the colored people, our audience objects very much. And I like their money as well as anyone else's. And it is not for that I object, but the audience complains. This is the first one we know where we have offended because we try without saying anything. We try to keep them apart without saying anything. And not telling them the white people do not want them down there. Sherman's words highlight the fact that there were no laws openly mandating segregation, but it was still practiced in Canada, just a little bit more covertly. Mm. On the I day, really feel that covert. No, no. <laughs> On the day of the hearing, nobody representing the here uh, the theater came to court. So Daniels won his case oh. by default, and it was widely reported in Alberta newspapers. There was also fallout at the theater as Sherman was replaced a few months later. Huh. Daniels, uh, at, at this point, not a whole lot known about uh, Daniels after this, but th this is one of the, uh, w whether it's by default or not, one of the few successful uh, attempts in Canada mm -hmm. to like actually go up against this and win. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Um, the reason I was highlighting while you were talking mm -hmm. is because I wanted to look up that theater. Oh, okay. The uh, Sherman Grand Theater. Yeah. Because I had a sneaking suspicion, and I was right. Um, that is Theater Junction Grand. Now, oh, okay. Or stylistically, The Grand. Oh. It's like right off of 7th Ave. I've seen a couple plays there. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so it still is there. It's very, like, performance already now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for telling me about uh, Charles Daniels. Yeah, no problem. So, my next person is Vernetta Anderson. So, this is my Calgary one. Okay. Um, you kind of encompassed my... Uh, well, not encompassed, but there's themes with my uh with Vernetta and uh my last person that I'll talk about okay that were just covered in uh your Daniel story oh Ooh -hoo -hoo -hoo. 
Uh, so Vernetta Anderson was an American Canadian community activist and politician who was elected to Calgary City Council in 1974 as the city's first black municipal councillor. I guess I'm also doing another political one. Hmm. <laughs> uh, born in 1920, she moved to Calgary in 1952 when her husband, Ezra Sugarfoot Anderson, was drafted by the Calgary Stampeders. What a name. Right? He was one of the first black players in professional football, and he was the only player to wear uh, double zero for the Stampeders. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, she was deeply involved in church and community service in Calgary. She served in many roles with the United Church, was a member of the Mount Royal College Ladies Auxiliary, uh, co-founded and became, pre- and became, co-founded and became, you can leave that in, <laughs> <laughs> became president for Meals on Wheels. Nice. Which YYC Hot Chocolate Month is on right now. So go to that website, mm. YYCHotChocolate.com. YYCHotChocolateFest.com. I'll look while you're... Thank you. I actually have it up. YYCHotChocolate.com. And go pick out uh, a hot chocolate to try in the city. There's a map and it tells you where they all are. One to three dollars from every cup sold. Supports Calgary Meals on Wheels. Nice. Anyways... She also volunteered as a board member for several organizations, including the United Way, Calgary Tourism... Oh, Calgary Tourist and Convention Association and the Calgary Center for the Performing Arts. Nice. So it did a lot. Yeah. Uh, her projects as city councilor included a fact-finding mission to Germany so they could research innovations on public transit as part of the early development for the C-Train. Oh, nice. Following her time on city council, Anderson was appointed to the Citizen Advisory Committee by then-Mayor Ralph Klein. No relation. <laughs> Uh, she was named Paul Harris Fellow by the Calgary Rotary Club in 1988. Her family described her as a warm and loving woman of faith, full of wit and character, honorable, elegant, and stylish. Her social skills... Sorry, there's a word there that I do not know what that means. This is a quote from them. I am going to skip it. Her social skills bore a distinct stamp of Southern charm. She was a woman of action known for committing time and providing leadership to get things done. V, as many old friends called her, was celebrated in the community by her many, for her many years and a, as a tireless and enthusiastic volunteer, leader, and colorful contributor to her adopted city. Through her route... Oh, I am stumbling over this one. Though her roots were in the U.S., she came to love the foothills of Alberta. And that very awful quote that I just butchered. <laughs> uh, in September of 2020, a City of Calgary News release announced that with the completion of the heritage rehabilitation of the historic City Hall, um, the Calgary Power Reception Hall, CPRH, will be reverting to its original home in the 109-year-old City Hall building. With this change, the temporary hall located in the municipal building will be renamed Vernetta Anderson Hall, honoring the first black person elected to Calgary City Council. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I thought the the C-Train tie-in, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Like she had a hand in designing the layout of the C-Train. Yeah. Uh, as well as the uh, co-founding and becoming president for Meals on Wheels, which is still... Uh, a very big service in the Calgary community to this day. Yeah. So a very long lasting legacy for Renetta Anderson. 
Yeah, I had no idea that that, um, at least for Canada, kind of started here. Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, okay, well, I don't think our last ones are going to have much crossover. Okay, great. Um, as I go back to the War of 1812. Yeah, nope. Okay. My person is born 200, no, 100 years later. <laughs> if your person was born 200 years later and they've made this list already, that is quite the achievement for a 10-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Um, mine is a group called the Colored Corps. The Colored Corps was a group of black men created during the War of 1812. The group was created. The men had been around for a while previously. Uh, Probably. Created in Upper Canada, where enslavement had been limited in 1973, the Corps had both free and enslaved black men. Many were veterans of the American Revolution, where they fought for the British. In 1776. New York City. The first substantial settlement of black Canadians in British North America occurred following that American Revolution. Some, such as Richard Pierpoint, a formerly enslaved man from present-day Senegal and military veteran of the Revolution, had gained their freedom by uh, fighting under the British crown during the war. Most, however, were still slaves and therefore brought to the British territories as, quote, spoils of war or as the property of loyalists. Mm. About 500 to 700 black people lived in Upper Canada, which is Ontario. Ontario. By the time Lieutenant Governor John Graves Simcoe arrived in 1792. 1792. Upper Canada. Simcoe (laughs) wished to abolish slavery entirely, but Mm. the Upper Canada legislature opposed many of his reforms. Mm. Many of the members of both houses of the legislature either had slaves or were uh, from slave-holding families and were therefore concerned over the possible economic impact of a why did I have trouble with this one? Abolition. Abolition would bring. <laughs> it's because mm-hmm. I was all gobbledygook in the last one. I've psyched <laughs> yeah. us out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I don't know where my I'm going My tongue is not yeah. talking to my <laughs> teeth, is not talking to my lips. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, because of that, the act to limit slavery in Upper Canada, uh, by the way, maybe the reason I was so flustered, that last sentence sucked to read. <laughs> yeah. Like, not only because I stumbled, stumbled on the word, but just because, oh, well, I mean, a lot of people in uh, government actually had slaves, so they didn't really want to get rid of them because they were worried about the possible economic impact. Our fragile economy. Because, we have to protect the economy. Because people suck. Because of that, um, the Act to Limit Slavery in Upper Canada, which passed on Jaloon, uh, Jaloon, holy crap, July 9th, 1793, <laughs> was a watered-down version of Simcoe's intentions. It banned the further importation of slaves into Upper Canada mm. and limited terms of enslavement to nine years. Hmm. <sighs> hmm. Toward 1812, the prospect of an American invasion posed a major threat to the liberties enjoyed by black Canadians, leading many black men to join. Sorry, can I interject? Of course. (laughs) What if I said no? (laughs) No, shut up. (laughs) Yeah, shut up. I'm clearly rolling right now. Do you ever think that white people of the past felt bad? Um, I'm sure some did. I'm sure, but it's like it's. A lot it was didn't. like this is just what we do. Yeah, I just can't imagine not feeling fucking bad. Yeah, yeah, that would be being I, like you know what, 
I don't think I I don't think I want to enslave people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like to not, please, if that's quite yeah. all right with you. Anyways, please continue. But I just had that thought because it's like, well, you know, we could not have enslaved people. Yeah. But the economy. Like, it's like, don't you feel bad? Right. Well, Isn't there like any little piece of you that was ever like, that is another human? And I guess the answer to my own question is no. Mm-hmm. Fuck that fucking sucks. Yeah. Well, we're melting the planet in the name of the economy now, so. Fucking economy, man. Right? Uh, Many understood that American victory would lead to re-enslavement because, again, not having new slaves and only being slaves for nine years was still better than what was happening in the South. Holy shit. Mm. Free black men had served in the militia since the organization uh, started in 1793. However, the formation of an independent company composed entirely of black men was not proposed until the eve of the War of 1812, when Richard Pierpoint offered to raise a corps of black men in the Niagara region. The offer was initially rejected by the Upper Canada government, but reconsidered following the American occupation of the fantastically named Sandwich on July 12th, 1812. It's now Windsor. I don't know why they changed they the name. They should have left it Sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Um, by late August, the core of an all-black Canadian company had formed in Niagara as part of the first Lincoln militia. But instead of granting Richard Pierpoint command, the honor was given to a local white officer, mm. Canada, or sorry, Captain Robert Runchy. Fucking sus. Now you may think, well, this guy's a captain. Maybe, maybe he worked hard and earned this. No, sus. Characterized as worthless. <laughs> <laughs> Troublesome malcontent uh, by his superiors, Runji fulfilled his reputation for poor leadership by segregating black men from other militiamen. In some cases, Runji even hired out black soldiers as domestic servants to other officers. On the morning of October 13th, 1812, American forces under General Stephen Van Rensselaer III which is a very 1812 name, I'm assuming, invaded Upper Canada by crossing the Niagara River, uh, River at Queenston. Runchy's company marched to Queenston from Fort George with Major General Roger Sheaf's reinforcement. The company joined Captain John Norton's Six Nations Warriors uh, in shooting down the American position from atop Queenston Heights before forming part of Sheaf's battle line. Alongside the 41st Regiment of Foot and 49th Foot, Runchy's company, quote, fired a single volley with considerable execution and then charged with tremendous tumult, causing the Americans mm -hmm. to surrender. Now you may think, well, this guy was a worthless malcontent, mm. but clearly a good leader. No, sus. Quote, having absented himself on the morning of the battle, Runchy subsequently resigned, and the company was commanded <laughs> temporarily by Lieutenant James Cooper. Oh my god. On May 27th, 1813, a large American force launched an attack against the fort. The Colored Corps and British troops rushed to the beach to oppose the landing and, quote, exchanged a destructive and rapid fire with the enemy at short range. The Colored Corps had four of its men either wounded or captured before it was forced back. It retreated with Brigadier General John Vincent's troops to Burlington Heights. For the remainder of the year, the Colored Corps participated in the blockade of the American Army at 
Fort George. So this is something that lasted a while. Mm -hmm. Toward the spring of 1814, the company was ordered to construct a new fort on the Canadian shore dubbed Fort Mississauga. With the American Navy in control of Lake Ontario, this work was crucial to the security of British forces in the Niagara Peninsula. These duties consequently, however, prevented the Colored Corps' participation in the Niagara Campaign that summer, even during the subsequent siege on Fort Erie, in which British forces desperately lacked trained engineer troops. Mm. The company was disbanded on March 24th, 1815, following the end of the war. In claiming rewards for their service... Many faced adversity and discrimination because the world fucking sucks always. Sergeant William Thomas was informed he, quote, must go and look for his pay himself. While Richard Pierpoint, then in his 70s, oh was denied his request for passage home to Africa in lieu of a land grant. When grants were distributed in 1821, veterans of the Color Corps received only 100 acres, half that of their white counterparts. Many veterans did not settle the land that they were granted because it was poor quality. Despite the inequalities, the Color Corps defended Canada honorably, setting the precedent for the formation of black units in the future. So part of a couple of key wins in the War of 1812 and for their service, hey, can you build this thing even though we're getting the shit kicked out of us and then when we somehow eventually win this thing, um, have fun farming rocks. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah. I wish it was a bit more of an uplifting story, but I still thought like a group that everything was going shitty for them. Mm -hmm. It became like 1% less shitty for them and they still did everything that was required of them yeah. to help in this war. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I also want to just throw out here. Yeah. Uh, totally sidebar. Okay. I thought the War of 1812 started and ended in 1812. Mm. Well, no, the War of 1812 to 15 doesn't really have a ring to it. So. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but I thought it was like, it was like one of those like one year's war. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I thought see. it was yeah. one of those. Yeah. Anyways, maybe we'll cover the War of 1812 at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, I, I think I would like to. Yeah. It seems like a, seems like an important thing that happened. Yeah, it probably wasn't. Um, <laughs> do you know the, like, significant thing that happened in the War of 1812? Peter, I just fully admitted that I didn't even know the length of the war. Oh, okay. That's fair. I'm pretty sure that's the war that we set uh, the White House on fire. Yeah. Good for us. Yeah, I think. I mean, along with British folk. Um, right, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I think that's it. Huh. Yeah. So yeah, we should do the... We'll, I'll put that on the list. War of 1812. Burn the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sorry. Don't do it now. We we are not in any Don't way um, yeah. advocating for the White House being lit on fire. Yeah, try not to light most things on fire. Yeah. Okay. Don't start fires. Um. All right. Well, my uh, last person that I would like to talk about. Okay. You know her. You love her. Viola Desmond. Nice. Uh. So Viola Desmond was born in 1914. So 100 years after the end of the War of 1812. Yes. <laughs> Uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Isn't that fun? Nice. I'm kind of from Halifax. In no way, shape, or form are you from Halifax. My dad was from Halifax. Yeah. So your dad was from Halifax. No, no I'm kind of from Halifax, that means. Okay. <laughs> Time and place. 
Uh, she had dreams of being a teacher or opening a beauty salon, but learned that Nova Scotia didn't have any schools to accept black people at that time for either program. Jeez. So she ended up taking a provincial test, which granted her a teacher certificate. You may think that that is clap your hands together done, but she was required to teach in a segregated black school, which she did in Upper Hammonds Plain and Preston, two predominantly black communities in Halifax. The students uh, were the descendants of either black loyalists who chose to fight on the side of the British, refugees who escaped being enslaved, or free blacks who ended up in Canada from the U.S. Canada was often thought of around this time in the 1930s-ish to be a promised land, but racism is just as Canadian as it is American. So anyone coming north may have been considered free, but we're still highly limited in society. That is something that I don't think gets talked about enough. Like Mm. we talk about segregation in the States a lot. Mm -hmm. It is clear that was a thing up here too. Yeah. And yeah, even um, in your story about Daniels, how there wasn't necessarily any laws Mm -hmm. for segregation. I think that province to province that does vary. Yes. Um, yeah. And then and then again, like even if there wasn't laws for it, it still was practiced. Yeah. So she had also come from a long line of hairdressers and barbers. So she decides not, get, not to continue with teaching and looks towards beauty school. Again, Nova Scotia at the time does not have schools for this that accepted black students. So she took training in Montreal and in the States for hairdresser, dresser. <laughs> For Fran Drescher, uh, for hairdresser and beautician. She returned to Nova Scotia after graduating and opened a salon as well as a beauty school where she could accept black students. Uh, Like, stop the story there. And already it's a great one. Right. (laughs) She started selling not only services and training others in her business in Halifax, but has a line of beauty products made for darker skin tones. Hmm. She drew inspiration from Madam C.J. Walker, uh, who had started a line of hair care products and is, I believe, currently still in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's first female self-made millionaire. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's fucking rad. Viola traveled for work and in November of 1946, she was driving to an appointment in another town when she had car troubles. Uh, something I would also like to just highlight in this story. It was odd for a woman, black or white, to own a car at mm. this time. She owned one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she was having some car troubles, so it forced her to stop in New Glasgow. She was told that her car would be fixed in a few hours, so Desmond was like, you know what, I'll go see a movie. She purchased her ticket and took a seat in the downstairs section. An usher saw her and told her that the ticket she had purchased was actually for the balcony. So Viola returned to the ticket booth because she wanted to sit in the downstairs. Uh, so she went to go pay the difference. And she was told that tickets weren't sold to, quote, people like her Ugh. for the downstairs section. She realized that this theater was a segregated theater. And she urged that she could pay the 10 cent difference in the tickets. And when her money was refused, she returned to her original seat in the downstairs section because she thought it was fucking ridiculous. Which it was. Not very long into the movie, security comes and tells her that she has to move. She refuses. Police are called. And she is sent to jail. Like actual jail. Jeez. They wrote her up on charges of tax evasion because the 10 cent difference in ticket price would equate to a one cent tax difference. Oh, so they wrote her up on tax evasion for a penny. 
Uh, after spending the night in jail, she had to appear before a court. So the next morning, she goes to court. She was not offered any type of representation, uh, legal representation, and had to plead her case. She insisted that she had tried to pay for the ticket in the downstairs section, but her money was refused, and the magistrate found her guilty on the charge of tax evasion. She was ordered to pay a $26 fine, which is $371 in today's money. Which is a lot more than one cent. Which is a lot more than one cent. <laughs> so following her arrest, Desmond was supported by the Nova Scotia Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NSAACP, which provided funds to hire a lawyer. Civil rights activist Carrie M. Best used her newspaper, The Clarion, to publicize Desmond's mistreatment. Uh, another sidebar here. Carrie had also had a similar thing happen to her when she had gone to that same theater five years before, but her case also ended in a fine. Mm. Uh, So Desmond's case kind of galvanized the uh, black Nova Scotians in the struggle against racial inequality. She appealed her verdict with the support from the NSAACP, but it was denied her openly fighting the charges and setting up for herself did end up making a lasting impact and help inspire the Canadian civil rights movement. Uh, The toll on Desmond, however, was more than the $26 and she ended up leaving her husband and her beauty business and moving to Montreal. She would later settle in New York where she passed away in 1965. Um, The last piece of the Viola Desmond story that I would like to tell you about um, is that she is the face that you see on the Canadian $10 bill. Um, And while that is amazing in its own right and a small gesture from Canada to recognize the fucked up past we have and um, what her case did for civil rights, do you happen to know who she replaced on that bill? Tell us. My favorite person. John fucking A. McDonald. (laughs) (laughs) That is, I mean, there's a lot of things about this that are my favorite. Yeah. Fuck you, John A. McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it when a story comes back around. Yeah. So that's Viola Desmond. Nice. The the face you see on our purple money. All right. Well, thank you very much. That was that was really good. Mm-hmm. And that was um, when I told my mom that we were doing this. Yeah. Um, she said that she hoped that would be covered. So I'm happy you did it. You're welcome, Peter's mom. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy we were able to, to do this one today. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and this is, uh, again, it just, it really shines the light that maybe things in Canada weren't as, or aren't as good as a lot of people would like to think that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is Black History Month, so there is six pieces of, uh, of specifically Canadian Black history, uh, but there's six pieces of it that you can research further you can look up your own um and we encourage you to do so yes yeah yeah this is just the 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 tip of the iceberg when it comes to to this country and just black history in general yeah so um by by all means go to to one of the sources we we sourced today um or (laughs) or other source or or other resources that you could find because there's a, a lot of a lot of stories that like these are depressing but are like really show the character of a lot of these people. Yeah, for sure. And I find um, 
a great resource kind of day to day is Anti-Racism Daily. They do mm. a email blast every single day, 365. So um, they don't require a subscription fee, but it is encouraged. There is someone doing labor behind the scenes. Uh, so if you want to uh, subscribe to Anti-Racism Daily, I have found it extremely helpful. There's always information about people in it. So uh, that's a, a great little resource. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. Yes. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. And if you want to send us an email, you can. We had no idea podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at we had no idea podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Oh, that's me. <laughs>